Make Walters your spot for the Women's World Cup as Team USA looks to three-peat, located across the street from Nationals Park and open seven days a week. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking ball, line to center field. It's going to be a base hit. Chavis around third, coming in to score. Heading for third is Dickerson, and the throw is cut off by the shortstop Horner. And the Nats with a leadoff homer by Candelario and three consecutive singles after two were out and nobody on. And they have tied this game here at the top of the eighth. It's now the Nationals three and the Cubs three. Bases loaded, two out, a run home, 4-3, comes the pitch, swung on, into the air to deep left center field. This is way back, and this ball is gone! Goodbye! It's a grand slam for Nico Horner. The first grand slam of his career, and it's Bedlam here at Wrigley Field. Five runs home in the inning for the Cubs. They now lead it by the score of 8-3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, July 20th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats on Wednesday night overcame a 3-1 eighth inning deficit. That was nice to see. The boys battled. The problem was that the bullpen boys uh, ended up getting rocked for a second consecutive night. They allowed six runs over the 7th and 8th innings, and 8-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs to lose the series two games to one. The Nats now are 38-58. and 58. You think about these last two nights from a Nationals bullpen standpoint now. Tuesday night, we had that 17-3 loss at the Cubs. Four Nats relievers combined to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. And now Wednesday night, 8-3 loss at the Cubs. Four Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in three innings. Nats relievers over these final two games at the Cubs combined to allow 20 runs in five and two-thirds innings. Mark, it's hard to think that the relief pitching being this bad can continue, but you know, it's also hard to see how exactly this is going to get better. That's what we were talking about last night, Al. Where is the hope coming from? At this point, your best hope is for starters to go at least seven, if not eight, if not nine on occasion. And if they can't get that far, well, maybe Kyle Finnegan can still get the job done. He's the only one we didn't see the last two nights because they couldn't get to a position where uh, they were ready to bring him in. I mean, this is bad. This is 
like we discussed, there's been some bad bullpens and bad bullpen moments in Nationals history. This is right up there with them. This feels pretty hopeless right now. It won't stay this way. Of course, it is cyclical. Guys will get better. Pitchers who it seems like can't get anybody out right now will get on a hot streak again. But boy, it feels like it doesn't matter what the score is, who is on the mound. It's not going to work right now. It is really a mess with anything that David Martinez is trying to do to get through the late innings of games right now. You know, this bullpen has been bad for a while now. It's, of course, especially bad right now. I think the reason, though, that it hasn't like slapped people across the face, how bad this bullpen is until now, is that in those previous bad bullpen seasons for the Nats, 2017 and 2019, you had a lot of blown leads because the Nats were good enough to be leading in games. This season, you haven't really had that. So what the bad bullpen had been doing up until this point, really, had been turning like close losses into blowout losses. You know, what could be a 5-4 loss ends up being, you know, a 9-4 loss, that kind of a thing. These last two nights, of course, you can't ignore what's going on with the bullpen. I mean, this really is staggering. If you're a baseball fan, it's hard to think of a two-game stretch in which Nationals relief pitching has been this bad. I mean, again, 20 runs in five and two-thirds innings over two games. But yeah, like we talked about on the last installment of the podcast, what else can you do but keep throwing these guys out there and just hoping for better? I mean, consider the following. So the Nats on Wednesday afternoon put our guy Paolo Espino on the 15-day injured list. So he did not get DFA'd. He got placed on the 15-day IL. He got placed on that with a flexor strain of his right ring finger. The corresponding roster move was recalling this guy Rico Garcia from AAA Rochester. The Nats on July 15th signed Garcia to a minor league contract off him having been designated for assignment by the worst team in baseball, the Oakland A's, on July 7th. This is what the Nats are having to do. Sign a guy who wasn't good enough to pitch for the worst team in the majors, in the A's. Like, that's how the Nats are trying to fix their bullpen. And look, I don't blame them for trying to just, you know, pluck guys off waiver wires and just see who sticks. But like, this is where we are. Rico Garcia just got DFA'd by the A's, who are atrocious. And now he's on the Nats at the major league level as a part of this bullpen. That's where they are. Like you said, this is what they have to work with. And so if you're thinking there's some great solution out there, it's not staring them in the face. I think there could be more moves like this as we approach the trade deadline. There could be others who become available in a similar fashion. Another guy reportedly is about to become available, Will Crow, a former national, part of the Josh Bell trade with the Pirates, is about to be DFA'd by them. Now, he's been hurt and on the 60-day IL, but he just finished up a rehab assignment and supposedly is healthy. I'm not saying he's the answer to all their problems, but why not take a flyer on that one or anyone else who fits that same description? This is what they're going to have to do moving forward. And I've got even a crazier thought, and feel free to tell me I'm crazy for even suggesting this, but here's what I'm thinking right now. This is how desperate it is. Okay, the trade deadline's coming up in, in less than two weeks at this point. The Nationals are sellers, right? We know that. I'm going to propose something here. I'm going to propose that they buy a reliever or two, not an elite closer or anything like that, just a regular, reliable, major league reliever who can give you a scoreless sixth or seventh inning. You give up a single A prospect for him, maybe ideally somebody with a little control, not just for the rest of the year, but if it's a rental player, so be it. Something to just get you through the rest of this year with 
a bullpen that at least has a few major leaguers in it. Right now, there's not a lot of true major leaguers in this bullpen. So I am proposing that Mike Rizzo buy at the trade deadline. Go buy a reliever or two. Don't give up a lot for him, but give up something to get somebody in here who can stabilize things a little bit. Am I crazy? Uh, yes, you are. I think that's <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think that's insane given the position that they're in. I understand what you're saying. And look, from a personal standpoint, this bullpen being better, I think, would make all of our lives easier and better. So I can't say that I'd be mad if they did that. But when you're in a rebuild, man, you ain't buying nothing, okay? They have no right, no business buying anything right now. They need to sell and sell hard. You know, we got an email from our friend James uh, asking about, hey, can you even realistically trade away Kyle Finnegan right now? Because if you do that, what is that going to do to your bullpen? I understand the sentiment. That's the last reason not to trade Finnegan. You can't operate that way. This team is bad. The bullpen's already bad. So this is just the way that it's going to be. And keeping Finnegan may not even make that much of a difference, okay? Like, we talked about Finnegan and Mason Thompson, and well, those guys weren't available in the previous game, the 17-3 loss. Well, we saw Mason Thompson on Wednesday night, and what happened with him? You know what I mean? So, like, we propped some of these guys up. It's like, well, they're the two best relievers on the team. It's all relative, man. On this team, yes, but are they good? It doesn't mean that they're good, and we saw that in this game, and I think that's probably what is most frightening, most alarming from this game, that you did have Mason Thompson, and it was the bad Mason Thompson. And oh boy, if we're back to having the bad Mason Thompson, what are we talking about here? Mason Thompson in this game on Wednesday night officially allowed four runs in two thirds of an inning. He in the bottom of the eighth faced six batters and got just two outs. He gave up a leadoff single by Seiya Suzuki to center field, issued a walk of Christopher Morell, gave up a bunt single by Miles Mastroboni on an odd bunt, a bunt that went off home plate and went straight up in the air to load the bases with no outs. Thompson then gave up a tie-breaking RBI sack fly by the ex-Nat Jan Gomes for a 4-3 Cubs lead. And then Thompson issued a two-out walk of Mike Talkman to load the bases. But Mason Thompson in this outing threw 33 pitches, a mere 15 strikes, versus 18 balls. Now look, the big blow was the grand slam. Corey Abbott comes into the game, bottom of the eighth, bases loaded, two outs, Nats down 4-3, and Abbott to the first batter he faces gives up a two-out grand slam by Nico Horner to left center for an 8-3 Cubs lead. So no question what Corey Abbott did uh, was critical. But man, the Mason Thompson outing really was disheartening. And it really did resemble what we saw in May when things were not going well for him. If if you've watched him enough, you can pick up on this and see when he's out of whack. And what he does, like we talked about earlier in the year, he's not getting full reach back with his arm on his delivery. He's short arming it. And what that causes is his head flies open. He yanks a pitch down and away to a right-handed hitter and his command is way off. And you just gave the numbers, 33 pitches, only 15 strikes. The scary thing with him is is that when he doesn't have it, you can tell, and he doesn't get it back. This isn't a guy who, you know, at this stage of his career, is able to self-identify a problem and fix it within the course of an appearance. And so that is a concern. He threw 27 pitches on Monday night to get four outs. They gave him Tuesday off, rightfully so. They brought him back on Wednesday. I mean, this was set up the best way you can right now. It's a Close game late. You've got your two top guys available and it still blew up in their faces. I don't know what else you do there, but I'll be real interested to see the next time he pitches. Can they get this fix 
quickly or does they have to give them several days off to figure it out? I mean, Davey says that they know what the issue is. They know what they did last time, but I don't know how quick of a fix that is because, like I said, when it went south with him, it really went south. The other Nats relievers on display on Wednesday night, Jordan Weems, he allowed a run in one and two-thirds innings. He did toss a perfect bottom of the six. That's what's funny about this. Off the Weems' perfect bottom of the six with two strikeouts, he said to yourself, all right, maybe tonight will be a good night for the Nats bullpen. No, Weems in the bottom of the seventh allowed a run on a leadoff walk of the Cubs' number nine batter, Tucker Barnhart, a pass ball by K-Bit Ruiz, and an RBI double by Mike Talkman, who just killed the Nats in this game. Uh, the RBI double off the Ivy on the right center field wall for a 3-1 Cubs lead. Talkman did get thrown out uh, trying to stretch the double into a triple, and actually a nice relay throw by C.J. Abrams, and then Joe LaSorsa faced one batter and got one out. So yeah, I mean, this is what it is. We know this is what it is. You know, the Nats do have an off day on Thursday. I, I think it's a well-timed off day. I still find this remarkable. The post-All-Star break portion of the Nats season just started. If you didn't know better, you'd think that we're in the midst of like this 15-day stretch during which the Nats haven't had an off day and the bullpen is just on fumes and you can kind of just see, okay, this off day is coming and you can reset things. It's like, no, we just had the All-Star break five minutes ago. You know, there's a lot of season left. The dog days of August, we're not even into August yet. And, you know, we talk about like things becoming more frightening off what we've seen these last two nights. I think that's a big part of it. It's like, there's a lot of season left and you just had the All-Star break and still the bullpen is in shambles right now. So they're off on Thursday and then they don't have another day off for two weeks. So <laughs> buckle up, folks. Get ready for this. It's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, it feels like beginning with that first rain delay in St. Louis, everything fell out of whack after that. That one event set off this chain of things falling apart for them. You now had to play a kind of a doubleheader the next day with using up a bunch of relievers. You have Hunter Harvey coming down with his injury. That, of course, had a domino effect on so much else. And now you've seen what the end result of all that is. And where's the answer? Like we're saying, there is no solution to all this. There's nothing that is suddenly about to happen that changes. I will say, and I'm not saying it's fair, but the best way to account for a bad bullpen like this is to get more from your starters. And in this game, you hope to get more from Trevor Williams, and he only gave you five because his pitch count was high, and that did set in motion some of what happened later on. No doubt. Trevor Williams, from a run prevention standpoint on Wednesday night, was pretty effective, but he certainly was not efficient, and he certainly did not give you length in this game. Two runs in five innings, gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks, but he recorded just one strikeout, and he threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Uh, he, over his five innings, threw 98 pitches, 58 strikes versus 40 balls. Uh, Williams in the bottom of the first, allowed a run on a leadoff opposite field home run by, yes, Mike Talkman to left field for a one nothing Cubs lead. And Williams in the inning also gave up two singles and a walk. He was lucky to leave that inning, allowing just the one run. And then Williams in the bottom of the fourth, allowed a run on a leadoff full count single by Miles Mastroboni to right field and a two-out opposite field RBI double by, yes, Mike Talkman down the left field line for a 2-1 Cubs lead. I mean, we are in this era now of MLB in which pitchers just don't eat up innings anymore. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, five, six innings is the norm. And so no question, like you want your starters to go seven, eight innings, but it's just not realistic anymore. You know, like, I don't think that that's changing. And especially with this rotation, 
it's hard to anticipate that. You know, Williams can be really inefficient. Josiah Gray, for all of the good that he has put forth this season, can be inefficient. Mackenzie Gore can be good, but, you know, he's been kind of up and down. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It might be Patrick Corbin who actually is most apt to give you length, although we know with him, he can go one run in seven innings and he can go, you know, six runs in two thirds of an inning. Like, you just don't know what's going to happen with him. So it would be lovely to get more length from these starters, but like, you know, to everyone listening, raise your hand if you're anticipating that. No, and I was going to say, I think Corbin is their best hope of that right now, which tells you exactly what the state of things is when that is the case. Trevor Williams was not signed to be a seven-inning guy. He was signed to face a lineup twice, maybe the top of the lineup the third time. And the problem is uh, that they're in a position where they may have to ask him to do more than that, and it's not going to work. And the run prevention was good here, but the first inning, 25 pitches, he's already behind the eight ball at that point. They fouled off 20 pitches off him, most of them off fastballs. That's going to drive up the pitch count. It raises another point that it's an issue that he has and a lot of pitchers and the staff have. If you don't have the stuff to strike guys out, it's hard to put them away with two strikes. Trevor Williams only had one strikeout in this game. So now you're relying on contact to get outs, and you subject yourself to all these foul balls with two strikes that prolong at-bats, drive up your pitch count, and make it so you can't go more than five innings. It just builds on itself. And outside of Mackenzie Gore, sometimes Josiah Gray, though he's been more of a pitch-to-contact guy lately, Corbin, the occasional big strikeout game, but we know that's not who he is that much anymore. Their style of pitching sort of lends itself to higher pitch counts long drawn out of bats, and then ultimately earlier exits. It's a real buzzkill when you have a high pitch first inning the way that Williams did in this game, because that does set a tone. It does like immediately put you behind the eight ball. It feels like you're playing catch up the rest of the outing, not necessarily from a scoreboard standpoint, but from a standpoint of, okay, I got into like a pitch deficit in inning number one. I want to try to make up for that in innings two and three by having quicker innings. And, you know, inevitably those things don't happen. It was interesting though, because I was thinking about this watching the game. So the Cubs starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Kyle Hendricks, who in a lot of ways has become like the current poster boy for pitching to contact, for not being a big strikeout guy, but for having success. Now, Hendricks on Wednesday night did have five strikeouts in six innings. For him, that's a high strikeout game. But Hendricks, one run in six innings. He's having another good season here. His ERA for the season is at 338. And I've always found Kyle Hendricks to be an interesting guy because in this era of high strikeout starters doing well, Hendricks is a guy who doesn't really strike out many guys, but does do well. And he's kind of a template uh, for someone like, say, a Josiah Gray, who isn't profiling to be a high strikeout guy, but, you know, saying, okay, well, you can have success that way. Now, that's not ideal. You're always kind of playing with fire when you don't strike guys out and you're putting guys on base. But Hendricks is someone you look at and you say, well, he's actually had a pretty nice career here, not striking guys out in the way that so many other starting pitchers strike guys out now. He's done it by having one of the best changeups in the game. He throws it a lot. And you could see how out in front a lot of the Nats hitters were with that, especially the first time through the order when they weren't really comfortable yet. So there's that. He's a really smart pitcher. He went to Dartmouth, so even Ivy League guy. You don't see a lot of them in the big leagues that allows him to you know, have just a really good idea of how to attack hitters and keep them off balance. It is refreshing to see. You don't see these kind of guys that much anymore. It's sort of late career Greg Maddox, the style of pitching. He's not going to blow guys away, but he is going to hit his spots. Now, you have to have pinpoint command to be successful this way. He's had it for the better part of his career. Not everyone can do that. And that's where guys like Josiah Gray get into trouble. 
Yeah, and obviously you want a good defense behind you. And Hendricks uh, with the Cubs has had that certainly a decent amount here in recent years. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets, and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 6-4-3 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. Uh, so we on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. And so here's a special deal for listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. Now the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well to center field. Sending Talkman back to the warning track. He's at the fence, and this one is gone. Goodbye. Two rows deep into the bleachers. About 15 feet to the right of the 368-foot marker. Bang! Zoom goes Candelario with a leadoff home run here at the top of the eighth. It's his 15th of the year in RBI number 46. And the Nationals get one back here in the top of the eighth. It's now the Cubs three and the Nationals two. Here's something that's interesting and very telling. The Nats on Wednesday night had 10 hits to the Cubs 11. 
and yet the Nats lost by five runs, 8-3. This game, in a lot of ways, did capture the way things are with this Nationals offense. Make no mistake, the bullpen was the number one problem in this game, but it was interesting to look at this Nats offense in this game. So you only got out hit 11-10, and you lost by five runs. Why? Well, the Nats went two for 13 with runners in scoring position. The Cubs went four for nine. The Nats had just two extra base hits to the Cubs five, and the Nats drew no walks to the Cubs six. And that right there was your game from an offensive standpoint for the Nats. I I thought this game in a lot of ways shined a spotlight on so many of the things we've talked about with this Nats team offensively this year. The Nats put guys on base. The Nats got their hits in this game. That wasn't the problem. But hitting with runners in scoring position, generating extra base hits, and drawing walks, the Nats had problems at all three of those departments. Yeah, recurring themes in each of those cases. One for 10 with runners in scoring position in the first five innings alone. So there were countless opportunities there for them to take a lead, maybe drive Hendricks out of the game sooner, and they just could not deliver in those spots. And then you finally get something going in the eighth. You finally get a big extra base hit, a home run from Jamer Candelario to open the inning. And then a two-out rally. Yes, a two-out rally from the guys you always count on with two outs to deliver for the Nationals. Dom Smith and Corey Dickerson got that thing started. How about that? And then Luis Garcia driving in pinch runner, Michael Chavis, to tie the game. That was nice, but it was oh so fleeting. And there were opportunities in this game to come through and change to at least allow Davey to go to Thompson and Finnegan with a lead at the end. Now, who knows? Maybe it still would have been the same problem. Maybe Thompson still would have blown it in the eighth and they lose the game. But there were several opportunities along the way where they could have at least put themselves in a more advantageous position, and they did not do it. Rough game for Lane Thomas. He went 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. You mentioned Jamer Candelario having that homer. Candelario and Thomas now are tied uh, for the team lead in OPS on the season at 819. The Nats' uh, other extra base hit in this game uh, was a double by Kbert Ruiz. He has been better offensively lately, uh, certainly in terms of his results. Uh, he in the top of the fourth had a leadoff double to the right field corner. Luis Garcia in this game on Wednesday night, two for four with two game-tying RBI singles. He and the Nats, one run second, had a two-out RBI infield single on a chopper up the middle of the infield to tie the game at one. And Garcia in that Nats, two-run eighth, a two-out first pitch RBI single to center field to tie the game at three. And he then had an uncontested steal of second base. It has been a rough last few weeks for Luis Garcia. His OPS for this season is only at 671. His OPS actually is worse than that of K. Bert Ruiz and also is worse than that of C.J. Abrams. How would you evaluate Luis Garcia's season offensively? Moments that you like, to be sure, but not enough of them, not consistent enough. It's still about approach with him. We know he can get the bat to the ball almost any time, but it's not the right approach to do that all the time. It's got to be in the right spot. You don't have to go chasing things. And that is too often what he does. I feel like he very often just looks for the slap single to left field, which, you know, with two strikes, that's fine. But earlier in the count, you don't have to do that. You can wait for your pitch and you can drive it. We've seen him in his career hit for some power. So he has that ability. It's just pitch recognition, knowing to do it. The funny thing here, the big at bat in the eighth inning, it was the first pitch that he swung at and he lined it to center field. And so Part of you is saying, well, is that actually a bad approach? Good result, a bad approach. The thing was, it was a slider right over the plate. That's fine. You get a hanging slider, take a whack at it, and you hit it well. What they don't want to see from him is being so swing happy 
that the first pitch, no matter where it is, whether it's in the zone or even out of the zone, he's just chasing after it. So this was a good one for him to swing at, but he's just got to learn that recognition. I don't know if he will or not. This isn't the guy who's ever going to really work the count. I don't think he's suddenly going to turn into that kind of guy. It's just a matter of, especially early in the count, make sure it's in the zone. Make sure it's the right pitch to try to hit. Don't just swing at it because you think you can connect with the bat on it. Luis Garcia, a multi-hit game on Wednesday night. Two other Nats had multi-hit games, C.J. Abrams and Dominic Smith. Abrams two for four with two basically carbon copy singles, two opposite field infield singles to Cubs shortstop Nico Horner deep in the hole. Uh, Abrams also had a stolen base. And Dominic Smith, he has been better lately offensively. I mean, it's all relative, but uh, he on Wednesday night went two for four with two singles. So we just hit on Lane Thomas. I want to work this into the conversation because we didn't get to this the other day on the show. So you guys spoke with Mike Rizzo now a couple of days ago, and I know that he did at least address the notion of trading Lane Thomas, and he didn't shut it down, which is fine. I think if you're a GM in his position, you do that. I find this issue of trading Lane Thomas fascinating because I really don't look at him and say to myself, boy, that guy needs to be traded this year. Like Jamer Candelario, yes. You know, I think Trevor Williams should be on the table. I think there are other guys. But I think Lane Thomas realistically can be viewed as more of a piece than a trade ship. With what Rizzo said, what do you think he is truly thinking about Lane Thomas approaching this trade deadline on August 1st? So I think what he was getting at, and and maybe you got a snippet of that in the quote, I've got a, a full story coming on Thursday morning about the trade deadline, a lot of what Rizzo said in there and some longer quotes on it. I think what he, the point he's trying to make with Lane Thomas is this. He's saying, I value Lane Thomas as an all-star outfielder. Our people value him as an all-star outfielder and a guy with several years of control still to go. If another GM out there values him like I do and makes me an offer commensurate with what an all-star outfielder is worth, then I'll take the call and I'll be interested and maybe make that move. But if they don't view him the same way, if they just view him as a third outfielder, a fourth outfielder, not a real legitimate big time piece, no, I'm not going to move him. And I think that's the right approach to take. I, I took that to mean I'm not shopping Lane Thomas around. But if somebody wants to make me an offer that says, hey, we think this guy's really good and we're willing to give up a good package of players for him, then yeah, I'll listen to that and I'll consider it. Do I think most teams value Lane Thomas the way Mike Rizzo does? Probably not. I don't know how many teams are looking at that guy and saying, boy, that's an impact bat that we can go get and make a real difference for our stretch run for our contending team. But that's fine. I think he fits in very nicely here, very affordable. I don't know that he's going to play at an all-star caliber for the next two years, but he can be a starting outfielder on a team that has some very good young outfielders coming up. But we can't say with certainty they've got three of them for next year yet. So I think he can be a part of of a team that's ready to win in a couple of years. And if everything else doesn't work out and he still plays well, you can revisit this next year at this time. Kind of like we talked about with Juan Soto last year. You didn't have to do it then. You could have waited and still take another whack at it the following July. So they can do that with Lane next July if it comes up. So I think it would have to be a really significant offer for Rizzo to make that move right now. Mike Rizzo goes on with the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan every week. This was Mike on Wednesday morning addressing how the Nats are approaching this year's trade deadline. I never thought it made sense to, you know, kind of hide it from the fan base, what we're trying to do. I mean, I think, uh, you know, being open and, and honest, what we're, what we're trying to do is, uh, is 
better accepted by the fan base, and I think that uh, they've accepted it well the last couple of years. They, you know, they know what our plan is. So we haven't made the secret, and uh, I think the key word there is we're, you know, deals that make sense to us, and uh, and you know, we're we're always open for that, no matter what our record is. And uh, this year is no different. Yeah, and I think what uh, Mike Rizzo just said right there is uh, in accordance with what you were just talking about, that, you know, the Nats are, quote unquote, open for business. I mean, it's no secret where the Nats are, right? They are a rebuilding team. Even Mike now, I would say over the last like 12 months or so, has become sort of more willing to acknowledge that and even at times say the R word, say rebuild. You know, I think it's going to be so interesting, though, how many guys do end up getting traded because, you know, we learned last year just because you're bad and you have trade pieces doesn't mean that they all get dealt. And so, you know, I feel like right now, Jamer Candelario is going to get dealt. Beyond him, I don't think you can say with certainty that any other Nats player is going to be traded. There certainly are a number of other guys who you could identify as possibly being traded. But aside from Candelario, who do you have like great confidence in the Nats actually being able to ship off to get something back for? If we set the over-under on trades made for the Nationals at 1.5, I think I'm taking the under. I think it's more likely that Candelario is the only one. They could go over. That, that's not outrageous. I think it's a 50-50 shot either way that maybe somebody else does. But yeah, who is the guy that you're going to move? Is it Finnegan? Again, a reliever who's under control beyond this year for two more years. And as we know, how hard of a time they have trying to cobble together a bullpen. Are you really going to give away your one and only valuable, healthy bullpen piece right now? I don't think, like we were just talking about, that Lane Thomas is likely to be moved. It's possible. I don't think it's likely. I think in Mike Rizzo's perfect world, Corey Dickerson would have played his way into being a trade chip. That has not happened. Dom Smith could have played his way into being a trade chip. That doesn't seem to be happening. Carl Edwards, that's a tough injury and a tough timing for that injury because he would make sense as a rental player to do that with. But who else? Ildemaro Vargas? I mean, who who else are you looking at and saying, yes, that's clearly a player that both the Nationals don't feel like they need to retain beyond this year, but that also carries some kind of value. You don't make trades just for the sake of it. You want to get something in return that you think might make a difference for you in the long run. And I feel like after two straight years of star players and a lot of high profile stuff, I feel like the Nationals are going to be more on the fringes this year. They have one good, solid player to trade. And I don't even think they're getting that much for Candelario. I like him. He's had a great year, but it's a rental. He's not high profile. He plays a position that not that many teams are really in the market for. I think you move him, but I don't think it's going to be some big, significant return that they get for him. Even. I do wonder about Trevor Williams. He now this season has made 20 starts. He has an ERA of 438. He has not been great. He has been serviceable. He has shown himself to be someone who can be used as a reliever. But he's kind of in that like middle ground of he's good enough to where you can maybe sort of view him as a trade chip, but he's not good enough to where you're like, okay, if you're a contending team, you say, if we get Trevor Williams, that puts us over the top, right? Like (laughs) that conversation is not being had right now. So I wonder if Williams is maybe good enough to be talked about, but not good enough to actually be that attractive to a contending team. And then the other thing with him is that he is on a two-year contract. So if you're the Nats, you could hold on to him and try to trade him next year. Although you also could say him being on a two-year deal could make him more appealing in the trade market. If there is a team, and I don't know if anyone fits this description, if there's a team that could use a fifth starter right now, maybe because they're waiting for somebody else to come back who's hurt, you say, okay, we can plug Williams into that spot now. And then once we're at full strength, we can move him to the bullpen. That might make sense for somebody, particularly a high payroll team. That's not a big deal to take on the contract. But 
again, I don't know how many teams really fit that description. And I feel like the Nats signed him to that two-year deal because they wanted him for the next two years, understanding with as many young guys as they have in their rotation, they need some stability. And while he's not a frontline guy, he does take the ball every fifth day, and he's going to give you five innings and at least give you a chance. I think he's been what they need him to be, and I think they still feel like they could use that, if not him, somebody else like that next year. Well, no game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for them is a six-game homestand, beginning with a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. The Giants are tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks atop the National League wildcard standings. Game one, Friday night at 7.05. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night, 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon, 1.35. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show. We always love hearing from you. Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, hit up Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. Again, that email address is Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We have a website. We invite you to check out to Nats chat podcast.com at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The pitch, swinging a line drive to right, down the line and a fair ball. It goes into the corner. Alou around third will score. Billy McMillan is waving around Derek Hill. The relay to the plate not attempted. Hill scores standing up, and Blankenhorn does it again with a two-run double. 2-0 Red Wings, three hitters into the bottom of the first. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.